Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. This show is brought to you in association with the magazine that I edit, Premier Christianity Magazine. If you'd like a free sample copy, just go to our website, premierchristianity.com. Today on the show, I've got a really special guest who I'm talking to all the way from Vancouver in Canada. It's Joshua Harris, who is best known for his book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It was a controversial book at the time and since, and Joshua has been on a fascinating journey of really delving back into the book he wrote and even talking to some of his critics. It's all detailed in a brand new documentary called I Survived, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which is available now. And Joshua joins me on the line. Joshua, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, it's great to be with you, Sam. So uh, here on the show, Joshua, we always like to go right back to the beginning of someone's life. So tell me a bit about childhood growing up. Was it a, was it a Christian family? Yes, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents had come to faith in the United States during what was called the Jesus Movement. They were, they were hippies who uh, learned about, about Jesus and completely changed their life. And so I was, I was taught from a very young age about what Jesus had done for me and really gave my life to him uh, as a young child. So tell me, what led up to you uh, writing this book that's become so famous, perhaps even infamous in certain circles? Because uh, it was a very early age, wasn't it? You're only early 20s when you wrote this book about dating. So, so tell me, what, what was the kind of progression to that point? Well, I um, essentially had... Uh, been in the in the the dating scene, if you will, had different girlfriends in high school, and gone against the advice of my parents when it came to this topic. And I, I reached a point in my life where, in a sense, the area of relationships was the one area that I I wasn't willing to really consider in light of my my Christian faith. And so when I I ended a relationship in high school with a girl that I'd been going out with for several years. I, I felt a real sense of conviction that I had mistreated her, that I had used her, that I had broken a lot of promises. And so I was very disillusioned with how that had worked and began to read the books that my parents had been trying to force me to read, Elizabeth Elliot's Passion and Purity and others, and began to uh, write about and interact with other people my age about this topic. And that led to me speaking and talking about the problems with dating. And at the time in the world that I was in, uh, the idea of courtship, this idea of, of more purposeful relationships was, was quite popular. And I began to, in a sense, uh, you know, put that in my own words. And eventually that led to the, the concept for I Kiss Dating Goodbye. So I Kiss Dating Goodbye wasn't the first Christian book to kind of put forward this idea of courtship? No, I, I think there were quite a few other books, but they were more in the subculture in the states of, of, the, of homeschooling, which was a large movement. My dad was a, was a very um, well-known leader and speaker in that movement. And um, so there was a lot of discussion. And, and basically, my book popularized those ideas and uh, took them to a much broader audience of evangelicals. Yes. And we'll move on to obviously talk more in detail about how the, your views, I guess, on your own book have changed over time. But just, just before we get there, for those who aren't familiar with the whole idea of courtship versus dating, you were really mm -hmm. proposing that, uh, that dating had some uh, negative ideas attached to it, I suppose, and you were putting forward courtship as an alternative. So what are the differences, in your mind back then at least, between those two ideas? And why would courtship be a better model for you at that point than dating? Well, it's interesting. I actually didn't use the word courtship in my book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Um, I, I didn't necessarily like that, that term and felt that it sounded kind of archaic. Um, but the, the basic principle of it is that, um, you know, dating relationships are short term. They're just about having a good time in the moment. They're not serious. They're not headed towards commitment. They're isolated from community. And so courtship became this sort of catch-all phrase that meant different things to different people. So that's what's kind of confusing about it. 
But essentially, the the idea behind it was you're pursuing commitment, you're being intentional, you're not you're not playing games with other you know the other person. Um, you are trying to care for them. You're waiting to get into the relationship until you have the ability to actually consider and pursue commitment. And then you're doing that in the midst of community, the community of your church, the involvement of your parents who actually know you. So I was in a setting that, um, you know, in, in a sense, there was a range of how people applied and thought about those things. There were some extremely conservative uh, expressions of this where, you know, in a sense, parents were making decisions for their kids and that type of thing. But I was trying to, you know, share those ideas in a way that was more palatable and that I felt that I could, you know, get behind. But, uh, you know, in a sense, I was like the liberal version of courtship in the homeschool <laughs> world, but obviously in the broader world, you know, yes. very radical and, and really kind of wild ideas for people. Sure. So did you begin speaking on this before someone approached you with a proposal for a book? How how does that whole that, that whole thing of, <laughs> of someone in their 20s, very early in their 20s, kind of being offered a book right. deal, where did that come from? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I was publishing a small magazine for homeschool teenagers called New Attitude and editing that. Uh, so I was doing a lot of writing. That was giving me a platform uh, and an audience um, that was unique for a person my age. And this was before, you know, everybody had a, a blog or a YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, and I was also traveling around doing conferences, you know, we'd have several thousand kids and parents come and, and listen to me speak on a number of topics, including the topic of dating. And so, um, I also had the advantage of my dad having been in the publishing world. He had his own publishing company and I would tr go to different events and meet, you know, people in the industry. And so those connections really gave me the, um, the opportunity to understand how to write a book proposal and get that to different publishers. And it was turned down by, by a few, uh, but then it was, it was, uh, accepted. And, um, I, I got an offer from, from a few publishers and ended up going with one. So I was just so excited. I mean, it was a dream of mine to write something. And the fact that, that I could get something published was, uh, you know, incredibly exciting to me as a, as a young person. Yes. Now, just to fast forward uh, for a minute slightly, since um, you've reevaluated your book, some people have said, <laughs> oh, well, you know, um, should the publishers almost bear some responsibility for letting someone so young um, and you weren't married at the time of, of writing the book? Um, you know, mm -hmm. someone who perhaps wasn't an expert, whatever that means, you know, on this subject. Looking back, do you do you have any sympathy with that argument? Do you think that the kind of gatekeepers, the publishing world should have said, well, maybe Joshua come back to us in five or ten years time where you know a bit more about the subject? You know, I actually don't feel a sense of, of pointing fingers and, and blaming other people in that way. There are many books that are written with much more, I would say, radical, um, you know, concepts and ideas by people of all ages. So I, I'm very hesitant to start um, trying to control <laughs> uh, or, you know, in a sense, create these rules of how old someone has to be or how, you know, young they, they are when they're prohibited from sharing ideas and those types of things. Um, but I I think that it's it's wise for, you know, anyone who's involved in wide scale influence, whether they're in the media or whether they're in the publishing world to, to be, you know, circumspect and to ask the question, okay, do we feel good about giving this person a, a platform? At the end of the day, the issue of age, um, is not necessarily the, I think the thing that is most easily going to, to reveal what the consequence of ideas is. It's, it's, you know, you let an idea out into the world and it's, it's hard to measure what the results will be. And, um, and I think even what is complex about my book is that there are, you know, thousands of people who would say it had a very positive effect. So that was the, the challenge for me, even in this process is to try to, you know, understand and measure, which ultimately you can't do. I had to come to my own conclusions based on my own thinking about how to view the book, but it's not an easy thing to measure the the positive or negative influence mm. of a of writing. Just in the immediate, I guess, few months and years when the book was published, 
Do you remember what the reaction was? Yeah. Uh, well, I think the initial reaction was was very positive. There was a lot of excitement. It was, um, you know, all the people who had been attending my conferences and reading my magazine. They were the initial. You know, they'd been following me and my writing process. They were excited to see this happen. It was sort of, you know, in a sense that we were a team, and these were ideas we'd been talking about, and suddenly that was being shared. In, into the broader world. And so they were grabbing it and reading it and sharing it with other people. So there was a tremendous amount of enthusiasm. And I think there was a lot of, there were a lot of people who were saying, this is what we've already been saying for a long time and you're giving voice to this. So there was, there were a lot of people who had been having the same questions and critique of, um, modern dating. And finally someone was kind of, uh, you know, calling those things out and, and critiquing that. So they were excited. And one of the, the central messages in the book, I think it's at the, the beginning of the book, and you also use this in the documentary you've just made, is of a man and wife on their wedding day standing at the front of a church. Do you want to explain that metaphor and, and really um, how that came about? Because I think that is quite a fundamental point that, that kind of carries through the whole of the rest of the book, doesn't it? It is. Uh, you know, I, you know, when you're a writer, you're trying to share different ideas and I'm working with my editors and they would come back to me and say, okay, you know, you need to, you need an illustration here to, to kick things off, to grab people's attention. And I remember working on that first chapter, trying to communicate my own journey of why I was questioning dating and why I had regrets about it and why people should, you know, even consider this concept of, of, of not dating. And, uh, a young woman wrote me a letter from, in response to an article that I had written, and she shared in that letter a dream that she had in which she was at her wedding at the altar and the groom was standing there and suddenly all these other women began to approach and stand next to him and hold his hand. And she, you know, was so upset by this in her dream. And she said, you know, what's, who are these women? And she's, and he responded by saying, well, they're, they're girls from my past. I had these past relationships. I had these, this emotional connection to them. And, um, you know, in a sense, they, they own part of me and that, that can never go away. And, you know, in the dream, she wakes up, you know, convicted, like, you know, I, I have these other relationships that, that this could happen in. And, so I used that story to start the book off, and I look back and and um, really, it, it has emotional punch to it. Obviously, it's a very dramatic thing. It's it's a dream. It's not based in any kind of biblical teaching or anything like that. But it 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 creates a I think a great sense of fear that um, you know if you're in a relationship and if you don't get with that person, then you're going to carry that for the rest of your life and vice versa. This other person that you're getting into a relationship has how these you know, ghosts of girlfriends pass kind of a thing. And it really became a controlling metaphor for a lot of people and I think had um, instilled a lot of fear mm. for, for people in the way they approached relationships. Yes, uh, and I can, I can understand why uh, you know, it seems like what you're saying, especially through the documentary, is you know, if you were to have your time again, that's probably not the way you'd put it. Certainly about <laughs> certainly about dating. I can imagine those. Right. I imagine those some Christians would think, well, actually, is this a helpful metaphor though about sex before marriage specifically? Because some Christians mm -hmm. would argue, well, you know, if you do sleep around before before getting married, that can bring consequences into your marriage, and that can make the other person in the relationship feel uncomfortable or, or have questions or, or feel like um, the person they're marrying hasn't saved themselves entirely for for the person mm -hmm. they're now with. So, is that still a helpful idea specifically for sex before marriage? <laughs> Well, that's a great question. And I think in a sense, what my book was doing was taking all the teaching that was out there about the dangers of sex outside of marriage and backing that up and saying, well, if that's true and we want to avoid that, then we should also avoid everything that leads up to right. uh, that consequence. You know, don't just get close to the line, stay as far away from the line as possible. Yes. And so that's where you had people who were, you know, saying you can't get into emotional relationships. And we, we did an article called emotional fornication. I mean, it's just, it, you know, it's like, um, the, the, it's a slippery slope in terms of once you go down that path, how far, how far do you take that? You know, does, does, is it just sexual intercourse? Is it kissing? Is it any, you know, kind of connection and those, those types of things. So I think that 
the balance in all of this is that I think people should um, be honest and have their eyes open to the the effects of any decision they make. You know, there can be there can be heartache when you. Um, are close to someone, whether that's emotionally or physically, and then you're not with them that, you know, there can be regret there. And, but I think it all has to do with the framework that you're viewing. Is that something that has been lost forever? Are you damaged goods? Or do you have the mindset of saying, you know what, maybe I would do something differently, but I learned from that. I'm still a complete person, even from a Christian perspective, being able to say I'm loved and accepted by God this doesn't define me. You know, these, these choices are not the defining qualities of who I am. Um, I think my writing really lacked that nuance and balance. And for a lot of really impressionable young people, it, uh, created for some, at least really kind of control us, you know, a a sense of real fear. Mm. And I think that had a negative impact on their view of relationships and even sexuality. Yes. You say um, that to begin with, at least, the majority of the response was very positive. So um, bring us up to date with what happened next and when you started to notice, actually, there were a lot of people out there who, as you say, have felt hurt by the book. When did that come in, in your story? Well, I, I... began to receive criticism, you know, in the years following my book. Um, I remember when a book called Boundaries and Dating came out and actually, you know, at the very outset needed to address my book. My book had, had become influential enough that it sort of shifted the conversation and any kind of discussion of Christian dating had to include, well, is dating even a good thing for Christians now because of my writing? And um, I remember reading that and and being a little tentative and thinking, okay, how, you know, how do I process this? But I had people around me at the time who, you know, even as I voiced those doubts, they were just basically saying, you just need to stand your ground. You need to be a strong leader. You're too worried about people's criticism. And so I really shoved all that aside. And I, I tried to, in my own teaching, um, and when I would, you know, when this topic would come up, qualify things, I wasn't trying to force this on people or say everybody has to do this. So I think it gave me the sense of, well, you know, as long as I'm not being, you know, dogmatic about this, um, that's, then that's fine. But what I wasn't realizing, I think, were the far-reaching effects of it. And and I think the, the effects of ideas, especially when it comes to things like how you approach relationships, you don't just see immediately. In other words, you know, a year after my book came out, you can't really measure, you know, what's the long-term result of adopting this. Um, and so, you know, 15, 20 years go by and people who adopted these ideas and tried to put my book into practice, they suddenly have a track record. There's now data, you know, and whether that's positive and people saying this helped me get out of, you know, an unhealthy lifestyle and I married my spouse because this, you know, this book, you know, gave me good insight or people who are now coming back and saying, Hey, this didn't work. Um, this actually damaged me. This was, this traumatized me. Those voices began to be heard, um, you know, online. There was a gentleman who, uh, did a blog, in the States that was called, you know, I kiss dating goodbye, wisdom or foolishness. And he was critiquing different things. And so I began to hear about those things. And, and honestly, I didn't pay enough attention. That's one of the regrets that I have. I think I was just, it was easy for me to just write people off as, you know, haters basically like, well, they're just angry and they just don't, you know, like me, or they're just not serious about whatever. And, and here are all these people who do like my, you know, my writing and, and stand by it. And, but, um, essentially what took place is that I began to see problems in the church culture that I had been a part of. I began to listen to people and I began to understand the concept that even well-intentioned choices and leadership can have negative consequences for people. And I saw that in my church. I saw that in even in my own life. And that, in a sense, opened me up to evaluating my, my book. Um, but but I was scared to do that. I mean, it was one of those things that I kept kind of pushing away because I I didn't know what would be on the other side of that if I opened up the door, you know, that my, my books had flaws. What did I do with that? Did I, you know, was it just some sort of statement and did the book stay out there? And what, how can you how can you possibly, you know, fix something when it's been out for, you know, almost two decades? 
so it was it was stopping being a pastor uh, to go to a graduate school of theology in Vancouver, BC, that really gave me the space um, and the time, and I think the the lack of of outward pressure from from leading a church to ask some of those questions, yes. and that was really where the the journey really began in earnest yes and um what was the reason for stopping leading the church and going and studying more theology well i mean the short answer is that i was just completely burnt out um from ministry uh we had gone through about five years of uh internal political you know upheaval and tension and church splits and movement splits um and then our church was hit with a lawsuit related to reporting sexual abuse. So we were being scrutinized there, and, and we initiated bringing in someone to independently evaluate us. And that process uh, really revealed that I had participated in, in a real mistake of failing to report something, which I hadn't even realized the, the gravity of that until that moment. So I was dealing with really feeling crushed by my own failures um, feeling just weary in, in the work. And also I think, uh, feeling, you know, I, I'd been writing a lot of, you know, kind of youthful, um, momentum and success. And that was a, a, a low point for me of saying, you know what, I actually have had very little time to study and to learn. And all the learning that I've done has been in one church setting, one kind of approach to, uh, to leadership. And, um, and so that was the moment where I thought, I, I really think I need to, uh, to step back and get a bigger perspective through education. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a, a huge amount of upheaval and difficulty, as you say, burnout with your last church. And so you go away to study and after all that difficulty and burnout and angst, you then decide to make a documentary talking to your fiercest critics i mean um what, what <laughs> well, when you put it like that it doesn't sound like a very good idea <laughs> <laughs> i mean is, is there something here i mean you're, you're clearly a very humble guy who's willing to listen to people own up and and say hold your hands up and say i made a mistake is is that the lesson we should take from this part of your life well i don't i don't know that i want anyone to take any lessons from any of this but um yeah i don't i i'm hesitant to you know, repeat the the mistakes of the past and try to hold my own journey up as this, uh, you know, example that other people should follow. I think we all have to to learn and grow. And I, I think for me, what, what I think is unique about what I've gone through is that it took weakness and failure and the pain of those things to get me to a point where I was willing to to listen to and consider uh, the voices of people who were criticizing what I was doing and and willing to open myself up to the possibility of being wrong, mm. which is a very difficult thing and involves uh, losing, um, I think, a sense of confidence. I think there are a lot of, I think there are a lot of emotions and feelings as people of faith that we equate with being close to God, being useful to God, which are often not necessarily the Holy Spirit working in you. They're just being successful and feeling good about yourself. And so when you when you lose some of those things through different circumstances, uh, I it can be a very, I think, um, fruitful and beneficial moment to be more honest and be more reflective. And I think that's what it was for me. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales interviewing Joshua Harris about his best-selling book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and why he is now apologising for it and has withdrawn it from sale. Really fascinating conversation. Hope you're enjoying it. Join us for much more from Joshua Harris right after this. In a world where fake news is taken at face value and fiction has become fact... 
How do we share true faith in Jesus? Unbelievable The Conference 2019 will equip a new generation to speak truth in a post-truth world. Join me, Justin Briley, and a team of world-class speakers ready to give reasons for Christian hope in today's skeptical world. Unbelievable The Conference 2019, Saturday the 20th of July in London, brought to you in partnership with ADF International and Biola Apologetics. Book your early bird tickets at premierchristianradio.com forward slash speaking truth. Christianity Magazine, in this month's issue. I've only ever been told two things about sin, says Nick Page. It's bad and don't do it. In the latest issue, he shares seven helpful tips on how to stop sinning. Liz Carter explains how she's learnt the secret of contentment, despite many years spent suffering in hospital. Pete Gregg, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, teaches us to pray. And Joshua Harris tells us why he's pulping his best-selling Christian book. Plus, we talk to the Christians who are deconstructing their most cherished beliefs as we ask the question, can faith survive doubt? For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. My guest today is Joshua Harris, the author of the best-selling Christian book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Years on from releasing that book, Joshua Harris has now apologised for it, removed it from sale, and also created a documentary called I Survived, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, where he interviews some of his fiercest critics about why the book was so destructive for many people who read it. If you want to watch that documentary, it is freely available online. Just search for I Survived, I Kissed Dating Goodbye and you'll be able to watch it free online. I recommend viewing it. But now, without any further ado, let's listen in to the rest of my conversation with Joshua Harris about the book and the documentary. Now, obviously, every author, to a certain extent, gets criticism. I wonder for mm-hmm. you, was it the the quality of the criticism or was it the, the quantity of it that was the final decision for you to say right i'm going to do this documentary i'm going to really go around and talk to people see what effect this this had is there a particular Mm -hmm. moment where you sort of really resolved that no i really do need to do this because as i say lots of other authors will have criticism and and not feel the need to respond in the way you have right well the way that it unfolded you know there wasn't a, a perfect master plan it wasn't this immediate hey let's make a documentary um it was really a process of recognizing there, I think there are flaws in my book, but I'm not sure exactly what they are. Um, beginning to hear, I think, consistency of, of critique and story related to unhelpful aspects of my book. I think that would be the, the most important thing. And then I think recognizing that it was coming from a broad group of people and not just from people who, for example, you know, people who have moved on from the Christian faith, it's easy to, I don't think it's fair, I don't think it's fair to write them off, but it's easy for people to write them off because you can just say, well, you're not even a Christian, you don't you know, believe the Bible anymore, so why should I listen to what you have to say about you know, this Christian book, for example? Mm-hmm. But then when I started to hear from people who were still Christians, who didn't have any animosity for me in general, but were saying, honestly, this you know, was unhelpful in these ways. And then I think having real interaction with people that wasn't just online, but was in person. So it was the diversity and then the consistency. And so, you know, I was kind of contemplating how should I handle this and trying to, to, you know, think about that and being uncertain. And it ended up being a uh, interaction on Twitter where a, a woman tweeted, you know, to me that your book was used against me like a weapon. And I just responded to her, uh, in a, you know, person to person moment. I said, I'm so sorry. Uh, and I, and I want to be evaluating this. And that tweet ended up getting picked up by different, you know, media outlets and articles started to be written. And in a sense, in a good way, it pushed, it forced my hand to, to say, okay, well, are you really going to do this? You're saying you want to do this. You've been thinking about this for a long time. And I did not know how in the world to do it. I, 
I didn't want to do it in a rushed way. I knew that just emotionally and psychologically it was going to be a, a difficult process. And so I took the step of saying, well, I want to invite people to share their stories. And I did a few interviews to get the word out about that. And I got over 600 letters from people. And reading through those letters, I began to see a lot of the things that I had said to kind of diffuse the issue or divert it. I would say, well, you know, it's people have only been hurt when the book was forced on them. That was kind of in my mind, you know, right. if someone made them read it or, you know, it became a rule, then that was unhelpful. Yeah. And I began to get letters that showed that, but also letters where people picked it up themselves. Nobody made them, you know, do it. They just tried to adopt it themselves out of their own sense of this being right. And then they were sharing, yeah, and this was unhelpful to me. And it, it made me think in, uh, you know, unhealthy ways. Yes. And so, that had a, a big impact. And it was during all of that taking place that I was interacting with a fellow student who wanted to make a documentary. And I kind of thought, you know what, this needs to be public. I can't just do this in secret. And number two, a documentary could be viewed by people who might never take the time to read something I write. I'm not really wanting to write another book, you know, to try to fix all these things. I think it would make sense to um, to do a documentary. And the documentary became in itself the journey of, you know, interacting with people, you know, face to face and um, became really helpful for me personally. Mm. I think it's a very clever way of doing it because any really, I guess, any teaching that comes across in the documentary, it comes from others, doesn't it? It comes from the people you're interviewing. So it's almost as if other voices are allowed to speak into into your work, which I imagine for some people who have been very hurt by the book, um, you know, rightly or wrongly, may feel like, well, I don't really want to hear too much more from, from Joshua because I feel really hurt. And I thought it was quite a clever way of doing the documentary actually to allow other voices to correct rather than you, as you say, writing a whole book or, or going into teaching again. Well, I'm glad you said that. I, I would agree. I, I love the fact that it was, it was, for most of the documentary, it's about me learning from other people. Uh, I love the fact that the documentary was produced by a woman um, and someone who had, you know, herself been negatively affected by my book. Um, and I also like that it was it was showing an honest progression for me. I mean, we we did we've crowdfunded it and did a Kickstarter, and one of the challenges was that people were saying, "Well, what what's your conclusion going to be before I you know before I support you in your project?" <laughs> and we had to say to them, "We honestly don't know. That's what that's what the whole idea of this film is. Is Josh is on this journey. We're capturing that, and we don't know where he's going to land." Um, and and that uh, was what we tried to to capture. So for those who who aren't aware, um, what would you say are the main criticisms that that came through that you felt you really needed to listen to? I mean, were there any common things that you were just hearing again and again about? Well, the book was unhelpful in this way, or the book mm -hmm. emphasized this point that I now think is wrong. Yeah, I think that it was things like um, instilling a sense of of fear. Uh, being more preoccupied with, you know, making mistakes in relationships. Um, I think it was an unhealthy uh, view of uh, romance and sexuality. You know that it's more like this. This, in particular, the human heart is this limited resource, and if you give some of it away, it's this idea of being damaged or having lost something. It's not about growing and learning from that experience. Uh, I think it. In instilling fear, it gave people, you know, it caused them to draw back from, uh, you know, moving towards other people. And, you know, for some people, I think, you know, like I'm a very outgoing person. It's easy for me to interact with, uh, with women. But for a person who is more shy, for example, a book like mine could actually encourage um, hesitancy and, a, and a being closed off in a way that is unhealthy, where they don't learn how to interact. Um, another, I think, big problem in it is that as it emphasized the importance of waiting for commitment, one of the negative consequences that is that people um, made each, you know, made a potential relationship so serious so soon. And so if they've waited for commitment and then they're interacting with this person, they're instead of just saying, I want to take the time to get to know you and I want to get to know a lot of different people and I want to make a really informed decision about who I marry, there was a sense of I this, you know, this needs to be serious from the get-go. I won't even start unless I know it can be serious. And then once it started, 
there can be a sense of pressure of, well, then we need to really make this work and have it lead towards marriage, which is obviously not always a wise thing. And so, um, I mean, I had the mindset of, you know, if a courtship doesn't work out, then that's successful because you, you learn that it wasn't the right person. But in actuality, for a lot of people, it created this, this environment where there's a sense of, well, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, again, you've given part of your heart away and that's really negative. And so, um, people, uh, I think oftentimes felt a sense of pressure and, and of, of make, having made a, an ill-advised decision. Sure. And uh, I know in the in the documentary, it, it kind of comes across, I think, when you talk to various people that you're really taking on board a, a lot of these criticisms. But I guess as well, you must have heard criticisms both then and now that you think, well, actually, no, I would still agree with that part of my book. And really the conclusion of the documentary, um, while you explained that, you know, you really want to apologize for how it's hurt people. It's not mm-hmm. as simple as just saying all of this book was wrong and I regret it all, is it? I mean, there, there must be elements of the book that actually you would still stand by. Yeah, there are definitely elements that, that I would still stand by. And I think there are um, elements that, uh, you know, where I, I see people actually genuinely being helped by the concepts in the book. I think there is a lot of um, there's there's a lot of unhealthy things about dating in general. And, and Christians see this and even secular people see this about how, you know, if you're going from one relationship to another and not really uh, caring about the long-term good of the other person, you can really use people and begin to view them, you know, objectify people, just use them for um, kind of the emotional high or the sexual experience. And um, I think that that can be damaging to other people. And I think, I think we lose some of our humanity when we treat when we don't care about and, and really love other people genuinely. So I think there, there are some good things to, to consider. I think that, um, some people feel like they always have to be in, in a, a dating relationship or with someone to be complete. And I've talked to a lot of people who, you know, they said this book gave me the, the courage to have a season where I wasn't dating. And I hear that from a lot of people, even people who don't subscribe to, you know, the ideas and I dating by that, Sometimes it's not a bad idea to take a break from dating, you know, and just get healthy yourself, get really grounded in who you are. If you have a, you know, a, a, a faith um, and a relationship with God uh, to really work on that. And so I think there's, there are some healthy uh, aspects of the book that, um, but on balance, I came to the conclusion that uh, the negative had outweighed what was positive. And um, that's why I reached the conclusion I did. I wonder how much of the book came from a, a particular kind of culture that you were in. I'd love to dig a bit more into that. I mean, I, I use the example of when I'm, I myself was a, a teenager at a big Christian event in the UK, and this couple mm-hmm. were on stage talking about sex and relationships, and uh, they're now married, and they said, you know, we chose not to kiss at all during the time we were dating or the time we are engaged. And I think a lot of young people in the tent, myself included, thought, wow, that's so impressive. How have they managed that? And then, of course, it emerged that they dated for about two or three months got engaged for about two or three months and then were married and uh, I was sitting there having dated my girlfriend for about I don't know two or three years thinking <laughs> well this is just a different culture and I'm aware as well you mentioned homeschooling a couple of times which you know, right. um, and and I've traveled to parts of I guess the Bible Belt in America where there is a mm. culture actually of um, in my experience yeah being very deliberate and intentional about who you're with and getting married very quickly so how much of that kind of culture were you a part of and how much of of that culture i guess influenced some of the thinking in the book well you know nobody writes in a vacuum everybody has influences ideas that have come before them that shaped the generation before them and they either embrace that or react to that and part of my process of reevaluation was looking at that very closely you know i I didn't just show up as a 20-year-old and have all these brand new ideas and revelations. I had been shaped by what was taking place in the culture, what was taking place in the church. And so uh, I did a guided study with a professor as part of this reevaluation where I went back and read a lot of books and was evaluating from a theological and a sociological perspective and then looking at the the, the fallout from that. And... Um, that, that's not to pass blame on anyone else. It was more just to say, why did I think the things that I did? What shaped that? Um, what was that informed by? Was that helpful? 
uh, how have things changed in since then? What have we learned from that? And I think that that process is a really important one for anybody who's you know in the realm of ideas and influence, but especially for people in the church. I think we we don't pause and consider like that as much as we should. And we don't learn from the lessons of of church history as we should. Um, going to graduate school and taking different church history classes was really helpful for me to see the, you know, the way in which movements and ideas and concepts would play themselves out. And the church is always making mistakes and then growing from that. But we can't really grow from our uh our, you know, our victories or our, our failures, if we're not willing to look at them and be honest about what was helpful or unhelpful and critique that in light of, you know, the Bible's teaching and and so on. So that was, that was something that I learned. And I hope one of the effects that I hope this documentary has is that it will encourage conversations and it will encourage people in the church to be willing to engage with people who are hurting, um, and be willing to learn from mistakes a lot of our movements in the evangelical world are driven by fads. They're driven by book sales. They're driven by conferences. They're driven by, you know, different things that then kind of roll through and then nobody stops to say, let's evaluate whether that was good or bad. It's just on to the next thing. And I, I think that um, part of the danger in not being rooted in uh, a solid tradition and in church history is that you're very susceptible to whatever the latest uh, religious fad is, and you can run along with that or even lead, you know, something like that, and then not really deal with what the actual outcome is. You mentioned um, a few times this this idea of, of the book uh, almost instilling a fear in people, and the other word that's used quite a lot in the documentary is grace. Um, I'd love to know, again, for your own background, was there a lot of emphasis on the grace of God and on forgiveness? Because some people have said, well, the book comes across uh, at times as a, as a little bit legalistic. And again, I'd, you know, you say no one writes in a vacuum. I'd be interested to know if you think that's a fair criticism, then maybe where that came from. And again, not asking you to pass the blame or pass the buck to you know mm-hmm. whoever was teaching you, but, but I'd, it made me curious. Were you part of a church that was heavily emphasizing grace or or not so much? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think in writing in, in my writing of the book, I don't know that I would have been in an environment that heavily emphasized grace. Um, although I talked a lot about, I had a whole chapter that is probably one of the highlights of the book that talks about, you know, Jesus covering all of our mistakes and that, you know, his grace is what really makes it possible for us to move forward and so on. Wow. Were people just not reading that bit then? Because it seems like so much of the criticism has been, oh, it's legalistic and it's, but you saying you had a whole chapter on grace. Well, it's an interesting thing with grace because um, in the, in the way, uh, you know, in the way that uh, the human heart works, and the way that a sermon can work or a book can work, you can have the right qualifying statements. You can have, you know, statements about grace, chapter on forgiveness, those types of things. But things like illustrations and stories and an emphasis on the practical of what you have to do can really end up sabotaging that emphasis on grace in ways that you don't even realize. So I can take you to points in the book that are saying, you know, you don't have to, this is not a rule or don't, you know, don't treat this like a formula or, you know, talking about God's grace and all those types of things. But the overall impact of a book or a sermon or whatever it might be is going to be affected by the weighting. It's not just that it's present, but how much weight is given to it, how much time is given to it. And I think grace is one of those things that you you have to, you know, emphasize so strongly that it almost shocks people and almost sounds scandalous to really believe in how all-encompassing and and transforming it is. And so I think I was a part of churches that would pride themselves in talking about the gospel and pride themselves in talking about grace, but they they had deeply rooted cultural practices that ended up um, I think undermining that mm. and ended up creating an environment where you were very aware of how you were doing your performance as a parent, your performance as, you know, in relationships, your performance in, 
you know, your quiet times and all those types of things, which again, I mean, this is the tension that you, you see in Scripture. This is why this tension never goes away in church history and why you have different camps of people who, you know, are kind of chanting grace and, you know, and you, you know, effort-fueled sanctification <laughs> at each other back and forth, right? Yes, of course. So um, it's easy to swing back and forth, sure. and I think writing something that's balanced is very difficult. Yeah. Well, I, re- I really appreciate you, um, I guess, going over both the book and the film uh, with us today. I know that um, a few months ago, I think we were talking about doing this conversation, and I had an email back saying that um, at that point, you wanted to let this documentary speak for itself, and you wouldn't actually mm-hmm. be giving any more interviews. So I really appreciate, um, looks like you've changed your mind on that. Um, why, why did you change your mind on that? Well, uh, there were different circumstances that led to that change. I, I really did want to stop talking about it, and I really did. I didn't want to keep presenting myself as this expert that was out there. I felt like the documentary and uh, the interviews that I'd already done uh, spoke for themselves. Uh, but there was um, there was a an issue where the the distribution company was going to be charging for the film for three months before they, they made it free. And I had always wanted the film to be free from the, from the beginning and free from the get go. And so the, the way in which I uh, helped convince everybody to sign on to giving the film away for free was the agreement for me to do media. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that's why I'm kind of back, back out here uh, doing conversations like this and um, trying to draw. It can't be easy. Yeah. It can't be easy because I'm aware, having seen the film and now having this conversation with you, I'm aware I am, you know, going over stuff which you, like you say, you've already had to almost emotionally process in the process of just, you know, making the film. Did did you find that mm. whole, you know, t- tell me more about the kind of what was going through your head when you were having these very lengthy conversations with your critics? It can't have always been easy, you know, or an enjoyable experience. Well, it's uh, it was hard for me because, um, you know, it's one thing to, to kind of contemplate or just in a general way say, well, you know, I've, I got some things wrong, but when you're sitting across from someone and they're sharing their story and they're sharing the pain that they've experienced and because of the ideas that you wrote about, uh, there's a lot of sadness and, um, there's a lot of regret that comes along with that. So it was, it was harder for me than I think I anticipated um, also I think, you know, my own sense of worth and identity had, even though I would not have wanted to admit this was wrapped up in the success of my book. You know, it, uh, it, it was my ability to say I was a best-selling author and, and here's this book that I'm known for. And so to, um, critique it and ultimately to, uh, you know, bury it and discontinue the publishing of it. Uh, it, you know, it felt like a part of me was dying and, um, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. I mean, I, I really tried to keep the focus on other people's experience and, and pain that they had been through. But I also, you know, had to try to kind of listen to what was going on internally. And, um, there were definitely, I definitely, uh, had to walk through some valleys there in that process. So, um, after, all of this. What's next and what are you doing now? Are you still involved in ministry? I'm no longer involved in ministry. I I made the decision not to go back into pastoral ministry as I was at at grad school. And um, I think that uh, the Graduate School of Theology that I was at, Regent College, does a really good job of of teaching about, um, you know, all of of life as as ministry, that we all have a calling, that we're all serving God, whether we're a plumber or a, a pastor. Um, and and I think it was a space for me to be honest about what I actually wanted. And I realized that I didn't want to to continue to pastor. So I'm using my, my love for communication, my love for storytelling to help businesses and nonprofits and charities communicate their message. So I do branding strategy and marketing strategy, and uh, I'm writing and, and speaking on these things and, and really helping other people find their voice to be able mm-hmm. to, to communicate. So so would it be fair to say that in three months' time or however long you've got left of this agreement of talking to Christian journalists about this film, is it fair to say that when all those interviews are done, you're really kind of looking forward to that point and it all just being done? I'm looking forward to it being done and yes, that will be a good moment. 
Well, um, Josh, I've really appreciated talking to you and really the, the journey you've you've been on, I think, um, is, is really quite incredible. I mean, correct if I'm wrong, but I'm not aware of any other Christian authors who've, who've really done anything like this. Um, it's quite an unusual thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure there have been others. I, um, I was inspired, actually, when I, uh, when I was at school and I, I read about how Augustine had, uh, had done, uh, at, towards the end of his life, basically a, a reflection on all of his writings and, um, you know, basically retractions, I think was the title in English. And I thought, you know, it wouldn't be bad for, for everybody to, uh, to consider that kind of, that kind of exercise. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so given the choice, if we were to rewind time back to when you were in your early twenties, uh, knowing what you know now, would you Mm. either write a different book or not write a book at all? Oh boy. I feel so gun shy right now when it comes to this. I I think I probably would lean towards not writing at all, but uh, that's a that's a that's a scary question. <laughs> I'm surprised. I I would have thought you'd say, well, having gone on this journey, I feel um, more enlightened, better equipped to understand some of these topics, and um, you know, would would be able to write a book filled with a bit more wisdom on the subject. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think you know that kind of theoretical question to be able to to know all that I've I know now and to go back to that moment and and write that kind of book. Um, what I think is so fascinating about it is I, I in a sense I think the outcome would be similar to not having written at all because, um, I think a book like that wouldn't have sold. And I wouldn't be having this problem either way. <laughs> I, I mean, and I say that, it, I, I, I laugh at it, but I think it's also true. I think the reason that I'm here talking about this is because the book sold. You know, if it had yes, sold five copies, absolutely. it wouldn't it wouldn't be an issue. And I think if I had written a kind of thoughtful, nuanced, um, overall more helpful book, uh, I don't think it would have become would have become this kind of cultural phenomenon that Ike is dating goodbye became. Mm. Well, maybe maybe there's a slight lesson there. If anyone is really eager to write a best-selling book, be careful. You might get what you wish for. Uh, that's, yeah, well said. Well, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, great to be with you. Thank you for the conversation. That was Joshua Harris in conversation with me, Sam Hales, about his book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and really the criticism that has followed it and the reasons for him now making this documentary, I Survived, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It's a really fascinating watch. I do encourage you to check it out. It is freely available online. We've also written up that interview in the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine, so you can read the interview and find out more there. You can get a free sample copy at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample simply put your details in and we'd be delighted to send you a completely free copy of the latest issue it's a great one to get hold of and if you're listening this afternoon here on premier christian radio did you know that this show is now available as a podcast that means you can access past shows and you will get a brand new episode of the profile every week direct to wherever you get your podcast from on your mobile phone your tablet if you want to access it you can download it completely free just go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile or search for the profile wherever you normally get your podcasts from well over 100 interviews now with leading christians from all walks of life on the profile podcast coming up next here on premier christian radio is premier playback have a great rest of your weekend